This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast presented by John Deere, Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com and we're all together in the same room for once. We usually are spread out across the country, but it's nice with the draft just a week away that we can actually get together and I think that's going to make for maybe a little better podcast. We'll see how it goes, but we got to get into the, the latest mock. Uh, we're now up to 200 as far as draft prospects on MLBPipeline.com. But first of all, thoughts on having to actually look at each other here during the podcast. Well, manage. I, you set the bar a little high there, by the way. You're like, <laughs> it's going to be the best podcast ever because we're all together. And what if what if we fall short? We're oh, all going to be very disappointed. And you know, and, and you know, I had horrible travel last night. I got three hours yeah. of sleep, so it's really setting the bar I think unfairly high Jim for me. Better. Jim's flight from Chicago to New York did not happen last night, but it did happen this morning, so he is here uh, as we record this on Wednesday. All right, let's get into the mock draft, and let's start. I'm going to have you guys kind of go through number one, number two, number three. I want to get who's going to go that you think is going to go, and then I want to know who you guys would would pick if you were in charge. Um, And we've started with the Phillies. We've gone over the Phillies, obviously, as the team with the number one pick over and over again, and the discussion continues to go back and forth, A.J. Puck or not. Um, last time we discussed this, it was A.J. Puck after a nice performance in the SEC. And Jonathan, right now, kind of still in that same position, right? I, I think so. Uh, I think they're very much kicking the tires on several other options. Uh, Mickey Moniak is the one who comes up the, the most in terms of the bat. But I, I think there's, you know, they haven't ruled out you know, the, the Kyle Lewis's of the world uh, in, in terms of several options. Um, you know, but Puck is always been the guy I feel like I've said this statement so many times now in terms of the guy they wanted to be the slam dunk pick he kind of at times looks like that you know the big strong college lefty with two plus pitches uh, but you know he hasn't always dominated he doesn't pitch on Fridays uh, so you know you're talking about a Saturday starter Um, you know you don't look at one loss record but what is he two and three I think it is his record. So kill the win. Yeah, a Saturday starter who's two and three. Like he doesn't scream number one pick. So I think that they're still considering you know various iterations, and then what comes into play is who might be there for their second round pick and how they can be creative with their pool money. So uh, you know, uh, right now if I were if I were doing the, uh, another mock right now, Puck would still be would be the guy at one. Jim, you are doing another mock. It'll be out shortly. Um, I know you haven't finished it off, so we're not, we won't get into who you have number one. But if you're the Phillies and, and, and you're number one, obviously, I mean, this doesn't stop now. They're going to go right up until the final hours, right, before well, they maybe? Probably not the final hours. Okay. But, I mean, I think they'll go at least through this weekend. Yeah. And I think by the end of this weekend, they'll figure out this is a guy we want to take. And then you start to figure out the financial parameters. And if something gets a little – Goofy there, then you might go on to another guy. But I, I agree with everything Jonathan said. Um, 
Wow. Uh, I know. That's rare. Uh, Flip that, please. All that. I mean, I think, I think he's the guy that people felt like the Phillies wanted to his puck, is the guy that people felt like the Phillies wanted to establish himself as that guy. He's coming off, you know, arguably his best performance of the year in front of a, a throng of scouts. I, I think it's, it's puck right now is plan A and Moniak's plan B. All right, let's throw out what the Phillies are going to do, and we'll go with what Callis and Mayo would do if in charge. I'll let you start, Jim. If you had that number one pick, who are you taking? Uh, you know, and I think we've done this exercise a couple times. I would take Kyle Lewis from Mercer, um, the outfielder. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Jonathan mentioned him. I don't think he's really a, a front-burner guy for them. I'd be surprised if he went number one. I think he's got the best combination of ceiling and floor in this draft. You know, can he play center field? You know, that, that's up in the air a little bit, but I think the bat profiles in right field, I'm not worried about that. I, you know, he can hit for average, big power, hit something like 396 with 20 home runs this year. The, the issue that comes up with him, and I was just talking to a general manager of a team that picks early today, actually on the cab ride coming in here, it never stops this time of year, and he's like, you know, are you worried about, you know, how he's going to do against quality fastballs, quality competition? And I said, I'm not, because you can only, you can only make – what you can of the opportunities that are presented to you. He's in the Southern Conference. Okay, it's not the SEC. He almost won the Southern Conference, triple crown two years in a row, player of the year two years, dominated that level. Best place you can play in summer, biggest test, Cape Cod League. Very good in the Cape Cod League with wood bats against great competition. So, yeah, would I feel better about Kyle Lewis if I could watch him in the SEC for 30 games a year? Sure, I'd feel better about him. But the guy dominated a level he's supposed to dominate, and he played really well against the best competition in the country. So I don't worry about the quality of competition with him. Yeah, and the best competition in the country with a wood bat, which is obviously key as well. Uh, Jonathan, who would you take number one? I, I think I would probably take Mickey Moniak, a high school outfielder uh, from California, and saw uh, a good amount of him over the summer. Tournament of Stars, this was uh, a, a guy who was you know, a decent prospect. Blake Rutherford got most of the attention in terms of the Southern California high school bat slash outfielder set, and they were both there and both performed pretty well. Um, but Moniak was just ridiculous. Every single ball he hit at Tournament of Stars, he hit hard. Then he continued doing that throughout the summer. Fast forward to, to the spring, and that continued. And he's got plus speed. He's going to be a center fielder and a very good one. I had one scouting director say they think he's got you know, gold glove kind of skills out there. Um, then, but the big question with him was always, well, what's the power? Uh, and just in terms of separating him as a, as a top of the, of the draft kind of guy. He started showing some power. He's never going to be a 30 home run guy, but he started to backspin the ball a, a little more consistently. So there is some there, and there's definite strength. Uh, and I think that's moved him up. And I like the idea of an up the middle guy with speed. Uh, he's not your sort of uh, prototype of what you think of as a, a number one overall pick, but uh, the the hit tool and the speed plus what might still be in there in terms of what power could come is what makes him kind of intriguing to me. All right, moving on to, to pick number two, obviously the Cincinnati Reds there. And according to where we are right now in this discussion, Puck went to the Phillies. So given that, I'll start with you on this one, Jim. Who are the Reds? Who is the best chance you think of the Reds taking at number two? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, as easy as it can be at this point. I mean, there's still a lot that can happen. But I think Puck's gone. I think if Puck's on the table, I think the Reds take Puck. Um, if Puck's gone, I think it's Nick Senzel from Tennessee. I mean, there are, there is no classic, we can keep saying this phrase, there is no classic 1-1 guy in this draft. And, and any of these guys we're talking about, you bring them up to scouting directors or front office people, and they, there's things they like and things they don't like. And Nick, 
Nick might be the best pure hitter in college baseball, and he had a great Cape Cod league, and he, you've seen him in the SEC. He hit a long home run off of A.J. Puck head-to-head. Not that you're going to say, okay, well, take him ahead of A.J. Puck, but Puck was not good against Tennessee, and Senzel just crushed a, a monster shot off of him. Um, question on Senzel coming into the year was, could he play third base? He'd been a DH as a freshman, second baseman as a sophomore, and he's answered that. He, he's a good third baseman. He, no, no question he can stay there. He played some shortstop at the end of the year, won't play there, but just show you know, he's, he's a lot better defensively than people expected, so that's a plus. I think the question on him is how much power is he going to have because he's more of a, you know, he, he took his walks this year. He's pitched around a lot on a bad Tennessee team, but you know, he's more of a gap-to-gap. Gap. He's not selling out for power. He's hitting line drives, getting on base, and he'll show you power in BP. So it's in there, but he just hasn't seen the games. But and I've talked to people who are, are less high on Nick Senzel who are like, well, I'm not sure how much impact there is with the bat. I, I think there is power in there. I think there's more power. I mean, just like Jonathan was saying with Moniak, he's not going to be a 30-run home run guy. But Nick Senzel's got more power, I think, than Mickey Moniak does. So, I mean, you could be getting a guy who could hit 280, 15 to 20 homers, play a, play a fine third base. He's not going to go glove, but he's definitely staying a third. You know, he's an everyday college position player with track record who can stay in the infield. And that, in this draft, that sticks out. So I think if Puck's gone, Senzel's the number two guy. Jonathan, your last mock, that's exactly what you had. You're still in that same Yeah, mode. I think so. Uh, and I don't even know. They, I, mean, I guess Lewis would be the other guy maybe uh, that they would consider. But uh, I think – you know, it's been college bats. I agree with uh, with what Jim says. You know, it's it, an agreeable it, podcast. It is. Yeah, it yeah. is. We need to find something off. You guys to, tend to be able to argue. argue more over the phone. Maybe we're being too uh, amicable because we're, we're right <laughs> next to each other. But um, Rookie Davis, you have to spend a lot Rookie of hours Davis. together over the next week. That's true. Also. That's true. By 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 this time next week, we'll uh, we'll come to blows uh, on air. But um, yeah, I, I think those th- those are the the real choices. And if if a bat goes one, then Puck is the clear choice of two. All right, back to your choices, and uh, Puck's still on the board for both of you, picking number two. Who are the fighting Mayos taking? Yeah, the fighting Mayos. I think I would probably take Puck. Uh, you know, I think the guys that we've all talked about are all interesting, but I know that he hasn't always dominated. Um, but, you know, that size, upper, you know, mid to upper 90s fastball plus slider, it's hard to, to pass that by. I, you know, I think that once he gets into pro ball, uh, he is he's going to do well. Um, not saying he is the same guy, uh, but Garrett Cole didn't always dominate like he should have. Now, granted, he was their Friday starter for ever um, at, uh, at UCLA, but you know, there I remember when he was coming out, there were those. How come he isn't missing more bats? How come he isn't? You know, I think Cole was better than Puck. But there's enough of that in there that I think, yeah, I think it'll get unlocked in the right player development system. So that's why I take it. Jim, you're passing on Puck again at number two. What if I don't want to pass on Puck? Uh, But you you know who I'm picking, so you you spoil the surprise. I have a feeling. I'm going to go with Riley Pine. I I said I'm taking Lewis at one because I thought he had the highest combination ceiling and floor. I think Pine has the highest ceiling in this draft. And this is a guy who's, I mean, it's, it's crazy type of stuff. Hit 102 this spring. He's got a plus curveball. He can shape into a harder slider. Uh, he's got, you know, I mean, Kansas high school competition, you don't need, you know, when you're throwing 102 or mm-hmm. sitting, you know, upper 90s, you don't need a changeup. But he, scouts say he's got a play, not a good change. They're just like, it's a legit plus changeup, like right now. You know, so you got three plus pitches, like athletic. And the questions with him, there is some risk involved there. You know, he doesn't always repeat his delivery and throw a lot of strikes. Um, so you're going to have to polish him up. But I just think the upside is so high in this guy, and I would err on the side of upside, and I would take Riley Pint at two 
even though I don't think he's really going to probably go in the top three, four, five picks. Do you schedule him for the Tommy John surgery, like, right after you draft him? Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with his delivery mechanically, but it does, and we'll get into this, I think, a little bit later, the, the, the thing that worries me about him besides control is just that he throws so hard. I mean, I've talked about this with Tyler High Polk, schooler throwing guys, 100, right? Yeah. Or even, even high schooler throwing 95, 96. Yeah. Like, I just don't know. I mean, you, you go back and you look, and Tyler Kolick wasn't, like, the smoothest, most polished pitcher in the world. He had a herky-jerky kind of delivery. But, yeah. but, but if Tyler Kolick was, like, you know, like Big. 260 yep. pounds, it wasn't like he was underdeveloped. Yeah. Right. And he's the most consistently hardest-throwing high school pitcher ever. And he didn't even make it far into his second year in pro, second full year in pro ball before he blew out. So it does worry me that can these guys hold up when they're throwing this. It's it's seductive to see these velocities on the radar gun, but in the long run, how many of these guys stay healthy? Yeah. I, but that said, Giolito is the other one that sort of jumps to mind. Yeah. big right, you know, high school right-handers, and he had Tommy John surgery. Everyone knew he needed Tommy John surgery. Dylan Bundy had a good delivery. Dylan Bundy got hurt too. Is it fair to just kind of? <laughs> put that in as part of the equation, though, and be like, all right, early in his career, he may have Tommy John surgery, but we still believe in him past that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you say definitively he's going to have Tommy John surgery. And like I said, there's nothing glaring. It's not like he's going to these deliveries. You're like, oh, man, it hurts right. my shoulder to watch. But that speaks to the teams. That's why teams, we have Groom. We, we have Jason Groom and Riley Pint 1-2 on the 200. Uh, we, we've had that. They were 1-2 on our top 50, 1-2 on our top 100, 1-2 on the top 200. They're not going to go one-two in the draft because teams are taking that risk into consideration, and that's part of the risk. Yep. All right, so you guys have disagreed as far as who you'd take. In fact, we have four different players from each of you in the first two picks, but we've been in agreement as far as the Phillies and Reds. So as the Braves pick at number three, uh, Puck's off the board to the Phillies, Senzel's off the board to the Reds. So who do the Braves go with at three? I think this one's a little bit more wide open. Um, I actually think, I don't know if you agree, Jonathan, that if Puck were there, I think the Braves might take Puck at three also. That is Puck's floor, I think. Um, the latest he could get. But, but I, don't think, I don't think there's really any chance he gets to him. I, I haven't taken Kyle Lewis. Um, I think, well, I don't know if prefers the right verb. I, I think there's some debate. You go for Lewis's higher ceiling versus Senzel's lower ceiling but higher, you know, higher floor. you got the SEC guy versus small college guy. I do think there's some interest there in Riley Pint if they were just taking, like if I were running the Braves, like what I just said, that Riley Pint's got the highest, the highest ceiling in the draft. I think there's some intrigue there. But I think this is a system that's got a lot of their better prospects are pitchers. You don't totally draft for need, but besides Dansby Swanson, I always got to mention him in every podcast, and Ozzy Albies, they don't have a lot of offensive talent in that system. And I think they're going to probably wind up going college bat. And I think it's Lewis. If Senzel was there, then I think it could go either way. Again, right in line with your last yep. mock. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same. I mean, I, it, it's, I don't have a whole lot to add there. I think they're, you know, they're having that upside versus, quote-unquote, safer debate, I'm sure. And there are people you know, in that front office. They want to go upside. They've tried to get back to that, quote-unquote, Braves way. So I think that does come into consideration uh, but with the way we've you know done our mocks I, I think it's it's going to be you know, whoever the Reds don't take of Lewis and Senzel that's that's who the Braves will take all, all right, right. And I was just gonna go say ahead. I think we've had the same top three picks for at least three mocks in a row yeah I, put, I don't remember what your first one was I put Lewis at one okay that first four and just to sort of say hey the Phillies are looking at bats yeah. here's one it could be uh, and just to give it a, a slightly different look yeah so that means it probably won't happen this way. But we've been pretty much steadily hearing the same stuff. Yeah. And even 
from before when you're hearing, okay, the Phillies are looking at X number of guys and the Reds are kicking around three or four guys, as it's narrowed down, it continues. To, we, we keep hearing the same thing at the top of the draft. So, which means, of course, that, you know, none of these guys will go in the top yeah, three. Delvin Perez will end up going yeah, number two yeah. and throw everything all. Your clubs would be different, though, and Jonathan, you're up again. You took Moniac number one as the Phillies, and you took Puck number two as the Reds, so who's number three? I think I'd go with Jason Groom. Um, I think, you know, this is where, I, you know, would be up, the upside pick. Um, I think they are still considering him, even if, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the Braves are, even if they're leaning that. But uh, he is uh, a combination of stuff, some projection, size, and feel for pitching that you don't often see from a high schooler. Um, you know, the fastball is up to 94, 95. It's one of the better high school breaking balls I've seen. Um, you know, maybe my judgment is clouded a little bit. I was at the start he had in Camden, New Jersey, where there were 6,000 plus people. And it's against, you know, Southern New Jersey competition, but it wasn't fair. They just they kept trying to bunt. Because they just they they couldn't you know they weren't going to make contact and he struck out the last eight batters he faced I think and the thing that actually struck me the most is him talking afterwards you would think a kid who knows he's going to go at the top of the draft through exceedingly well would have been like yeah, I was happy with my performance and what he focused on when asked about his performance was the three changeups he left up he's like listen they didn't do any damage they fouled them off but he knew that for scouts he needs to you know and to play in pro ball. And he's got a good changeup. He's had it before, but he just uh, he floated them a little bit. Uh, he wasn't getting out in front enough, he said. And uh, the fact that he knew that, I thought, was a very good sign in terms of what he knows he needs to do to, to excel at the next level. And I think that if everything goes well for him and there are no distractions or obstacles along the way, he's even the kind of high schooler that could move a little bit more quickly than your typical high-end high school arm. Do we finally have some agreement, Jim? You know I've changed my picks. So uh. We do not. There's no agreement. But I, I pay more, even more respect. I could, I could respect Jonathan by agreeing with him, but I'm going to pay even more respect to him by taking his number one player with my number three pick rather than spurning Mickey Moniak like he did to That's Kyle fair. Lewis. <laughs> utter disrespect. Um, I, I would take Mickey Moniak here. I, this was tough. And you guys know before the show I was sitting here going, man, I don't know who I would pick three. I, I'm tempted by Groom. I, I like Moniak for a lot of the reasons Jonathan said earlier. Up the middle player, definite center fielder quality defender there, so it's not just a guy who can play center, he's going to be a quality defender there. I think he's really going to hit. I think it's probably, you know, 12 to 15 home run power, more of that, that top of the order type of presence. So I really like him. And the guy, I, like I said, I, I, if you ask me again in five minutes, if we, as we continue, I might change my pick again. It's like, I, I'm also torn. Like flopper. Yeah, I know. Well, you got Moniak, you got Groom. I have a week till the draft to get my board set. I, I'll tell you, two other guys I'd be tempted by. Part of me thinks that Delvin Perez might have the highest ceiling of any position player in this draft. There's some risk with the bat, but you could have a, a pretty intriguing shortstop there in a draft that's horrible with shortstops. Mm -hmm. And then the guy, <laughs> I, I'm not saying he's a better prospect. This, this gonna, I don't even know how to phrase this. It's not going to sound stupid. If you're talking about, you know, we're talking about the left hand. We're talking about A.J. Puck's going to go number one. We're talking about how Jason Groom's number one on the MLB pipeline top 200. If, if I got any lefty in this draft, I'm not so sure, and I wasn't at NHSI with you guys. I'm not so sure I don't take Braxton Garrett. Well, you would only feel better about yes. it if you had been at yeah, NHSI right, exactly. and he yeah. went eight but, scoreless yeah. innings. But, I, but I'm telling you, I mean, I know he doesn't have, you know, mid-90s fastball like those guys, which, based on earlier discussion, to me it's almost a positive. It's 91-94. Yeah. I'm not, you know, that's, that's fine. He's not throwing 96 every time. I'm wondering, like, geez, is that going to hold up? But 
He's got, you know, he might have the best breaking ball in the draft. He's got an advanced changeup. It's a great delivery. Throws a lot of strikes. I think he's more polished than either of the other two guys. And I'm not, I, I almost, I was like toying with taking him at three. And it's like, again, and I know we've got our board and we've got him behind Puck and, and, and Groom and Puck, but, but it would not shock me at all. And we've got Braxton Garrett ranked pretty high, too. It would not shock me at all if Braxton Garrett is the best left-handed pitcher in this draft. So, again, ask me in five minutes, and I might switch off the yeah, Moniac. I, uh, I have no problem with that. I mean, we saw Garrett pitch. And then beyond just pitching, he got really sick. Food poisoning. Uh, food poisoning or stomach flu. They're not even sure. Ended up with IV fluids. Was basically lying down in the dugout between innings and then going out and playing center field and hitting third because he knew – that it was that important to his team, especially because they won a couple of times. He eventually sat out, or I think maybe he DH'd. In that second yeah. game, when he was sick and, and lying on the dial, he actually ended up coming through with the game-winning hit. It right. was a bloop. It's not like he ripped a ball into the gap, but it was the clutch hit. First, he came early and did our podcast. Yes, he did, right on the <laughs> And we had podcast. no idea he was sick. He didn't and even then, tell us. And yeah. then went... And then you the, guys got sick a couple no, of times. No, so that's why we think maybe it was food poisoning. And, we won't uh, tell you where he ate. No, but yeah, he ended up like, so he played one day sick, then got IV fluids and sort of gutted his way through. He looked not good, but I think that kind of thing scouts like to see because he wants to be there and he wants to win. Um, and uh, that just adds a little of that intangible into what's a pretty good package of yeah, stuff. Dad, dad's his coach and, yeah. and he, he kind of has a little of everything. All right, Good so kid. there's there's the top three picks from, I guess, three different perspectives. The teams that will actually be doing it and then the Mayos and the Calluses. All right, this is the MLB or I'm sorry, this is the Pipeline podcast with MLBPipeline.com's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We're presented by John Deere as we move ahead a little bit. The top 200 draft prospects is coming out and you know, you basically double the number of guys, but obviously within that, there's also guys on the rise and guys that kind of drift off a little bit. But let's talk about guys who are now, weren't previously, but are now kind of moving into that first round discussion. Jonathan, anybody really stand out to you? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of guys that I really want to talk about. Um, two college pitchers, Northeast guys, both in the ACC. I'll start... Uh, you know, in my hometown at Pitt, it's not often that they have first-round caliber talent, but T.J. Zoik has really moved uh, into that realm. Uh, started the year late. He had a good cape, so people were excited to see him. Uh, had a little bit of a groin issue, so he was just a little bit late getting started. Was their Saturday starter, then moved to Fridays, uh, and was really, really good. And, you know, the ACC is a good conference. Um, I saw him pitch against Virginia when Virginia was in town, and obviously a lot of people there. It was T.J. Zoic against Connor Jones, another first-round uh, caliber pitcher, and Zoic was up to 97. He's six foot seven, and he uses he's, you know downhill, uh, a lot of ground ball outs, uh, and uh, the thing with him, the breaking ball is it's come and gone. Talked to some scouting directors like so, yeah, boy, I saw a plus breaking ball against Virginia. He didn't throw one for a strike, and I think. It's been a little bit more of that, and that's the only thing keeping him from being one of those guys that runs way up, especially, and I think, Jim, you agree with this, this is not a great college pitching year. They're not guys top of the rotation stuff, uh, and he has got really, really good stuff. So if you think that you saw enough of a breaking ball and enough of a feel of a changeup, he doesn't throw it in games, then you're going to consider him in the first round. I think at the very, very worst – he turns into like a Jared Hughes guy who comes in out of the bullpen, throwing 98 heavy sink, 
uh, you know, uh, and, and that's that. The other guy is Justin Dunn from Boston College, who was their closer. Um, talking to scouts early, uh, they said, boy, you know, I'd like to see what he could do in the rotation. He's got four pitches, um, but he had never really started. Boston College moved him into their weekend rotation, and he was really good pretty much right away. Uh, did what people thought, and so his name is really moving up again uh, with the landscape of there are not a lot of good college arms here. Where I think this guy's really going to be a, a mid-rotation starter or better, so he has continually moved up uh, both in our rankings and in terms of where he might go in the first round. How about a guy you like, Jim? Well, uh, I'll, I'll get the sponsor plug in. It's kind of John Deere country. Gavin Lux from Wisconsin. Nicely uh, done. High school shortstop. Hey, we, we know who pays the bills. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and Gavin Lux, uh, what's interesting about him, there's two things that really jump out for me about him. One, it's a terrible draft for shortstops. you got Delvin Perez who's going to go in the top ten picks. Gavin Lux is going to go in the first round. And there's, I, I think the next shortstop we have ranked, or the next guy who's going to stay at shortstop is C.J. Chatham in the 60s on the top. Yeah, Bryson Brigman's right around there. But and who's, yeah, he's going to play second. second and Brigman's yeah. going to be a B.A. second baseman. But, yeah, they're in the 60s. Um, and then, two, he's just gotten so much better this year. I mean, he was, you know, a guy who was probably second or third round type of guy coming in. You know, maybe there's some questions. He's second base. He's shortstop. But he's gotten faster, stronger, throwing harder, uh, driving the ball better. Now you're, this guy's definitely a shortstop. You know, he's a guy who can hit in the upper half of the order rather than the bottom half of the order. Guys are really excited about him. And really good bloodlines, too. His, his uncle, uh, Augie Schmidt, was the number two overall pick in the draft. Uh, wound up never playing in the big leagues, but uh, and is now the coach at Carthage in Wisconsin and uh, has really helped uh, shape Gavin's career, too. All right, well, we mentioned that it's expanded to 200. So last thing I wanted to touch on was a guy that wasn't in the top 100 from each of you that you really like enough that, that you guys have moved them into that top 100. Now they're, they're on the rise. Jim, you want to go first? Yeah, and, and this guy's been tough to track because he's ping-ponged all over the place the last two years. But Kyle Funkhauser, you know, going, you know, April 2015, he looked like he's going to be a top five pick. Then he had a slump for about six weeks and some signability questions. Slid to the toward the end of the first round. Doesn't sign with the Dodgers. Comes back for senior at Louisville. I want to say he was 18th on our top 50 in December. Looked like okay, he's gonna be a first round pick. And he came out and, and looked not very good at all the beginning part of the year. His velocity was down. Secondary pitches, which were never terribly consistent to begin with, had, had gone backwards. Control and command, which is a need for him, regressed. Arm speed was noticeably slower. And I had guys telling me consistently, if you, did, if you didn't know this guy's backstory or, or his track record or any of that, and you saw the guy, you'd be thinking 6th to 10th round. Uh, and then, so, like, we didn't even put him in the top 100 when we, when we went from 50 to 100 in April. And, and now, you know, he's made a, a late run here. The maybe last... he saw that you didn't put him in the top 100 and yeah. motivated. Yeah, maybe. And then, uh, but, you know, you know, he's pitched well the last month. You know, Louisville's got a good rotation, good chance to go to the College World Series and win it all, and, and he's helped himself. I had one scout tell me who saw him recently. He saw, saw him better this year. This is a guy who's seen him multiple times, had seen him good in the past. Saw him better this year than he saw him at any point last year. Um, so I think he goes in the second round. I mean, there's still going to be some questions about senior, you know, how much of a discount you're getting. Are you getting a discount? What exactly was going on with him? But we've, we've jumped him back up into second round territory on the, on the top 200. Yeah, my guy is A.J. Puckett uh, from Pepperdine, and uh, really interesting backstory. Um, had a hematoma. He was in a coma for two weeks in high school. So um, this is a guy who talked about counting your blessings. He's happy he's walking the earth, mm -hmm. let alone being able to play yeah. baseball at a high level. Had played football and baseball, then this happened, came up, obviously gave up football, um, focusing on, on baseball now, and went on to, to Pepperdine. And 
moved into the weekend rotation, became the Friday starter this year and has been really, really good. Had a 45-plus inning consecutive scoreless inning streak. Uh, one of the more consistent starting pitchers in, in all of uh, college baseball. And what really has sort of made him move up in terms of draft uh, status is some uptick in his velocity. He's up to 94 now. Uh, you know, he's got a really good changeup. The breaking ball went from well below average to kind of fringy. It's tightened a lot this year, so I think a lot of people think it's just going to keep getting better. So we're talking about a six foot four college arm who's had success in college with some upside, with some projectability. There might be more in the tank because he's still learning how to pitch. And, uh, you know, we moved him up into the, I think he's in the 70s, and um, he's more intriguing than some of the guys you know, in some ways that, who are ahead of him whose stuff. Maybe there's a little more polish, but it's a little more vanilla. Um, I think someone's going to take him in the second round and, and get a bargain. Uh, and this guy's going to end up being a really good big league starter uh, with stuff that's much more playable at the highest level than some of the other guys you know, who we have ranked ahead of him. And hopefully, A.J. Puckett and A.J. Puck end up on the same team somehow, right? Can we make that happen? Sure. We'll Talk to the Phillies. Talk to the Phillies. See what they'll do. If he goes one. But uh, as you guys said, it seems like Puck is the guy at one as of now. All right. I know there's a week to go, guys. A busy week for you guys. Do you ever put the phone down at this point? Yeah, only when Jim's texting me to tell me that he's having flight trouble. Yeah. So you ignore Jim's text, as you're saying? Or you're... That's Try the only time I'm not talking to other people about the draft because I'm so concerned about Jim. I, I will say it is. <laughs> Phew, we've both been doing this for a long time. Too long. It's, it's easier it's easier these days with all, with texting. Yes. Back, I mean, I'll sound like old man Cows here, but when I was doing mock drafts and my day, Ought one, <laughs> uh, you know, you have to try to track guys down the phone, which is really difficult. It gets closer phone. to the draft. Yeah. When they're at home. I, I had a, an extensive system of um, carrier pigeons. Telegram. <laughs> <laughs> like but no, but seriously though, it's easier to get a hold of guys like even minutes before the draft. Plus, I, I like. Two things that make it easier this year. I like the Thursday big start to draft instead of Monday. It makes it a little bit – you can breathe a little bit more after – but it's never fun doing – I can't remember who did the last mock before the final week, but if I was doing the Friday mock this week, oh, yeah, we're doing another mock Sunday night. You know, it's like, like too congested. Um, plus, the draft, you know, now that it's been on MLB Network ever since, it's, it's moved to the evening. So instead of much better, you know, like, like wondering, like, oh, there's no time to try to figure out if you, you're trying to fill in some blanks in the morning – you have the whole day to kind of kind of play with it. I mean, typically what happens the night before the draft, we're up until, or it used to, uh, four in the morning, uh, something like that. Maybe you catch a couple of hours and then, oh, go do the draft broadcast. Yeah. You know, when, when, we, when we did it here, when it was you know, first uh, during the day, um, and that was just insane. Now it's gotten to the point where, one, we don't have to be anywhere first thing in the morning, but a lot of people will tell you, like, they're like shut down. For, you know, so we'll stay up late because we're, you know, insane trying to find information. But typically it's not until the next morning, you know, so, we're, you know, you're not burning both ends of that candle quite as brightly as we used to. And I know you guys get text messages while we're doing rounds three through ten yep. on that second day sitting right here at the desk. Yeah, no, well, we want them. And you know, yeah. I'll be asking scouting directors again. I mean, when we get to the college senior part of the draft especially, and there's going to be college seniors that, we don't know a whole lot about. I hope people will text us. Let us give me a quick scouting report on the on the eighth rounder from southeastern Louisiana. 
All right, it'll be an exciting week. And, of course, all the, the draft coverage coming June 9th through the 11th, uh, the 9th live on MLB Network and MLB.com, and then rounds 3 through 10 on Friday on MLB.com and the rest of the draft on Saturday on MLB.com. And throughout it all will be Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Great job, guys, as always. This has been the Pipeline Podcast presented by John Deere. For Jonathan and Jim, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.